Good morning. I shared a couple months ago that uh, I'm new to the power tool owning fix things game. Like that's a new experience for me. Uh, I didn't literally didn't own anything before I came to Indiana. So I have you to thank for that. Thank you, Hoosiers. When I started to look for tools, I knew we needed a new power drill. Like we needed a new power drill because we had this power drill, but we had it forever. And that thing and I did not get along. Like we did not have a healthy relationship between us because I felt like that drill's sole purpose was to ruin whatever I was trying to do. Like that's what it felt like. Because every time, I'm already not good at this, right? So I'm already going in like, oh man, I don't know how it's going to turn out. And that thing, I, I promise, it stripped like every screw that it ever used. And so I'm already not good at it. It's like, oh, come on, seriously. So frustrating. So it's like, all right, I know we need a new power drill. And so we get, uh, this, we get a drill, and uh, I like to read them. I'm a manual reader. I like to read that stuff. Anybody else, you read the manual when you get something? It's five of us. Okay. Um, I just find it interesting. I like to know how stuff works. So I, I, I get this thing, and, I, and I, I'm reading about it, and I, I, got a, I got a drill. I got this drill, a quarter cable. I don't know if it's any good, but it's what I got because I don't know anything. I'm reading about it, and I found out it has this kind of ratchet feature, this like setting on the front where you can turn it, and you set it to the lowest setting, and when you start to drill something in, when it, when it hits tension, it'll stop driving the screw, so you don't even know the words for it. Um, and if you need it, it needs to go in further, you move it up, but it's the way you protect it from stripping the screw. And I'm like, that's incredible. Where has that been the entire time? Like, that will make so many things better. Like, learning that detail was like, that changes everything. Now I don't have to worry about my kids being in the room when I'm trying to use it because of what I'm going to say after I inevitably break something. I mean, that was, it was amazing. I'm like, that is such a handy feature. And then I had to use our old drill for something else, uh, you know, after I bought that and learned that. And I, and I get the old drill out, and I realized the old drill had it too the whole time. But it was on the highest setting, and I had no idea it existed. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. <sighs> Learning that little detail changed how I approached using it. Like learning that little detail changed my attitude towards, towards home repair projects. And I wish I'd have learned that sooner. It would have saved me much, much angst and frustration. And we're going to look at that similar idea, how learning something can change everything. This morning, as we continue our series on man in the mirror, looking at the life of Peter, we're going to wrestle through this, this question of what do I believe about Jesus? And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20 this morning. So if you brought a Bible, you can turn there, Matthew 16, starting at verse 13. So we're going to read this, and then we'll, and then we'll dive in. Starts with, when, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, son, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. 
Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So a little background before we dive into this. Caesarea Philippi is a town in northern Israel. It's about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. It was a small provincial town that the Romans expanded on during this time when the Romans kind of came in and took over. And they built it up, and it was, it was much more significant. And we're going to show you a picture of what it looks like. And that's looking at the cultic center where the temples would have been. That big hole on the left is a cave, and inside that cave is a spring. And that spring, from what we know from uh, writings in antiquity, they couldn't measure the bottom of it, so it had this kind of, these kind of mystical properties that it was, it was very significant. Uh, we're going to show you a picture of what it would have looked like maybe back then. Pretty cool, right? Just me. Oh, okay. I thought it was cool that we could show you that, but you're hard to please. I understand. I'll work on it. But on the left, we see a temple, uh, temple to Pan. It was a, a god of, among other things, fertility, and uh, they would worship Pan at different times during different festivals in ways that I would not feel comfortable describing it in church. Uh, but this is kind of the, the region. This is where they are when they're having this conversation in, in front of this, this cultic center, in front of these temples. And Jesus and his, and his disciples have this conversation, and, and it, what it does for us is it raises three significant questions, three important questions that we need to work through. And the first is this, who do people say Jesus is? Who do people say Jesus is? Now then, when Jesus asked his, his disciples, they said, some say John the Baptist, and John the Baptist was a contemporary of Jesus. He, was, he came along to baptize people, to point towards the coming Messiah, to, to point towards Jesus, and he'd done some incredible things. And so people made mistaken identity, thought maybe, maybe Jesus is really John the Baptist. And some others said, uh, maybe Elijah. And Elijah was an Old Testament prophet that God used at a very important time in the life of the, the people of Israel, the nation of Israel. And Elijah performed incredible miracles and is, and is an important figure in Judaism. And then others said, well, maybe it's Jeremiah or, or, or maybe he's an, another prophet. And that was kind of their, their expectation of who he was. Their or their understanding, because their expectations of what they wanted the Messiah to be shaped their view of Jesus. Right? Jews were looking for a Messiah to come back to kick butt and take names and overthrow the, the yoke of the Roman oppressors and, and defeat their enemies and be a military conqueror that would establish their nation. And so they wanted someone who was powerful, who wanted someone who would take charge, and wanted someone who was, who was aggressive. And so they looked back to some, of these, to some of these figures. Now, who do we think Jesus is? I think when you think about your friends, your family, maybe even you, some of us think Jesus is just a religious leader. Maybe he's just a wise teacher. He's a good man. Or for some people, he's a myth. He's, he's not real. I think our expectations shape our view of Jesus as well. Because we want someone who validates our life. We want someone who tells me that what I'm already doing is right and good who doesn't require me to change, who fits neatly into our view of ourselves and our world. And so we want a Jesus that's non-threatening, that, that's not going to rock the boat. And, and so we will often kind of label him the, this way, or that's how we'll choose to see him. According to a 2015 study, some interesting numbers, 92% of American adults believe Jesus was a real person. Right? 92% of adults believe Jesus was a real person. 56% of that same group of American adults believe he was God. 26% believe he was a religious leader and 17% aren't really sure. Now, they asked him another question. 
of American adults agree in some form that Jesus was perfect and didn't sin, 46%. But 52% think he sinned in some way. All right, so let me remind you, 56% of people believe Jesus is God, but 52% of people think he sinned in some way. So there's people, or percentage of people who will believe that he's God, but that he sinned, that he wasn't perfect. And taking another level, 62% of Americans say they've made a personal commitment to Jesus. So 62% say they made a personal commitment, and that's higher than the number that believe Jesus is God, and much higher than the number believe Jesus was perfect. Interesting, right? There's a disconnect there, and I, I don't mean to, if that's you, I don't mean to make you feel bad, that more highlight, there's confusion. We don't always know. We want, I think, to read ourselves into our understanding of it and, and, and how we experience Jesus. And that, that filters into some of this when it sh- we allow kind of other beliefs to, to sneak in there, that we move away from what Jesus said about himself. Folks, the truth is it doesn't really matter who we think Jesus is. It matters who Jesus actually is. It doesn't really matter who we think he is. It matters who he truly is. I can say that my Toyota is really a Ferrari, but that doesn't make it true. I'm not ever going to win a drag race. And when I go to resell it, I'm not getting six figures. Right? We can say things are true, but that doesn't make it real. It doesn't matter really who we think Jesus is. It matters who Jesus is. Which leads us to that second question. If the first question is, who do people say Jesus is? Second question is, who does Jesus say he is? Who does Jesus say he is? Names are a big deal. Names are a big deal. And, and even more so in this time, back when this story took place, names are a big deal. They tell us about people. They tell us about their family, about where they're from, about their culture. Like we can learn a lot by, by people's names. And they're even more significant then. Any, any people excited about the royal wedding coming up? That's right. Listen, we both know there's more than raise their hands, but you don't want to, you're like, what are the guys I work with going to think if I say yes? I understand. We'll just know you're excited because you're binge-watching The Crown every night to get ready for it. That's okay. There's no shame in that. So if you, if to catch you up, Meghan Markle, an American actress, is going to marry Prince Harry, and there's been a lot of speculation on what her new title will be, right? She's going to be Her Royal Highness Princess Henry of Wales. She'll at least be that, Her Royal Highness Princess Henry of Wales. She's not getting named Henry. She's taken her husband's name for that title. But there's speculation that the queen will name Harry Duke of, York, or Duke of Sussex, which will mean that Meghan will now be Meghan, Her Royal Highness, Duchess of Sussex. Take that back to your 20-year high school anniversary, high school reunion, right? How's, how's, how's life for you? Oh, we got a dog. It's great. Working on an addition to the porch, you know. It's good. How about you? Oh, I'm just, you know, Her Royal Highness, the Duchess of Sussex, the highest title bestowed in British aristocracy. You know, no big deal. Hereditary title. It's kind of, kind of significant. I mean, there's, there's detailed rules about this stuff. You can't be a prince or a princess unless you are a child or grandchild of the current sovereign. So you can't, if you're great-grandchildren, you can't be called a prince or princess yet. I mean, there's, there's all this rules to stuff because names matter. Titles matter, and it matters for Jesus too. Jesus is called here the son of the living God, the Messiah. But he starts by calling himself the son of man. It's a a title that Jesus often called himself. And it's interesting. Most scholars think that it's purposefully a little vague because it can be used in a variety of circumstances. 
but all of them are used in the context of Jesus accomplishing his, his purpose, his mission on earth, pointing towards the role that God is going to use him in, the role of Messiah. And that's the, the first thing that Peter says. Who do, people, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Messiah. You're the Messiah. That's a significant word. It means the Christ. It means the anointed one. That means the rescuer that God has, had promised. The Messiah is a powerful, powerful picture for us. The Messiah is deeply meaningful because what it says is it's God moves towards us that we have rebelled from him in our brokenness, that, that we have said, God, we don't need you and we've gotten ourselves into a hole we cannot dig ourselves out of. But God has moved towards us to rescue us without us deserving it. That God said, in my love for you, I have made a way for us to be okay. I have made a way for us to be in relationship again. And it's through the rescuer. It's through the Messiah. The Messiah will come and establish God's kingdom forever and that all pain will be gone. That he will be the, the perfect king to rule. That's what we look forward to. That's why the Messiah is significant. We're gonna sing at the end of the service, Jesus Messiah, name above all names. And that is a powerful name for us because it is a name of hope and of love and of grace. It's a name that says no matter what you've done, no matter how far away you are, no matter your past, no matter your hurts, no matter your baggage, I have moved towards you through my son to rescue you. That's good news. That's meaningful news. He's the Messiah and he's also the son of the living God. The son of the living God. I find it interesting that after Peter says that, Jesus says to Peter, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because I think he's giving context to Peter. Here's who you are. Here's who your, your family is. Here's where you come from. And all those things shape and inform who you are. Just like me being the son of the living God shapes and informs who I am. It gives me authority and power. He is God. Jesus isn't some dude. Jesus is the son of God. It's a big deal. He needs to be the son of God in order for him to be what we need because if he's gonna be the perfect sacrifice, the one that lives the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died, then he needs to be able to live it perfectly, something we could never achieve on our own. His words carry authority. He, he is powerful and he's also God's son. God loves him uniquely. A father sent his son to die. That's how much he loves us. I have two little boys that I can't even compute with that. I mean, that's crazy. But that's how much God loves us. That's how much God loves you that he would do that. He's God who walked amongst us. He's God who put on flesh and came to earth. He's God saying, I want to communicate to you in a way you can understand. I want to meet you where you are. That's what God needed to do in order for us to understand who he is. And Jesus says it explicitly right, right here when he says to Peter, you are blessed because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being because what he's saying is the, the infinite God of the universe is, is hard to know. I barely understand how my television works. How could I possibly hope to know the infinite God of the universe? The only way I could hope to do that is by God making that possible, by God communicating himself to me in a way I can understand. God sending his son as a human with flesh 
to meet us where we are. It's God translating himself into our language, context, culture, and customs. It's literally the picture of God moving all the way towards us. And I love how Barb said that in her video. That God helped her understand as she spent time reading about God, as she spent time digging into that, God revealed himself. God communicated to her. She understood things that she didn't know before because God was saying, this is who I am and this is how much I love you and this is where your home is. Man, that, that just drips with love. Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. So it brings up the third question. Who are we because of this? Who are we because of it? Who do people say Jesus is? Who does Jesus say he is? And now when we know that, who are we because of it? I mean, this is the big question, isn't it? So now what? Folks, this is where the rubber meets the road. One of my favorite quotes, a writer says, Christianity is either the most important thing in the world or it is utterly unimportant. What it can't be is sort of important. If Jesus is who he says he is, then that is the most important thing that God would move towards us that we might know him. And if he's not, then it doesn't matter at all. What it can't be is kind of important. What it can't be is I'm gonna take the things I like and ignore the things I don't and create my own little, my own little sphere, my own new religion and, and engage in that and make Jesus who I want him to be. Either Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God, or it's all a lie. It can't be somewhere in the middle. It can't be somewhere in the middle. And if it's true, if he is this way, what do we do with that? Well, I love the way that Jesus engages with, with Peter here. He says, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. Sometimes, you'll hear me say this a lot if you, if you hear me teach, like I think we read the Bible, and I'm guilty of this too, we read it sterile, we read it like a textbook, and we miss that there's richness in their stories. This is like wordplay. This is like Old Testament, like, a, like an Old Testament or a New Testament pun basically, because Peter means rock, and he's pointing to, a, pointing to this picture of a rock. So he's basically, he's making up these puns. And you've heard, any pun people? Yeah, I'm sorry. I can't get behind that. I support you, but, but puns. Because here, what's a salesman's favorite scripture passage? The Great Commission. Oh. oh. What car make did the apostles drive? Yeah, a Honda, because they were all of one accord. Ooh. Need an ark? I know a guy. Like, it hurts a little bit, right? It hurts a little bit. All right, so Jesus is much better than that. But he draws this parallel that Peter, Peter's name is rock, and he says, upon you, upon this rock, I'll build my church. I think he's sing, uniquely singling out Peter to say, because you've understood who I am, I'm going to use you in a unique way. But he's also talking to all the disciples. But there's even another layer to this, because if you remember, they're standing in front of these temples. They're looking at this rock. And I think it's this picture to say, this rock this rock is temporary. I will build my church on, on a permanent rock that I, it, the, the, so, the son of the sovereign Lord of the universe, I'm going to use you in ways I don't need to to accomplish my mission towards people. I don't need to build my, my temple in a specific place at a specific time because my temple transcends all culture, all boundaries. He points to Peter. He points to, to their location and he says, I'm going to build on you. I'm going to build on people who trust me. And then he goes on to say, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And really that means gates of Hades. And that's significant because people in that area 
thought that that cave and that picture we showed you earlier was an opening to the underworld. That cave where the, this pagan worship took place was, was an opening to the underworld. And so he's pointing out this idea that my church is not of stone and mortar and my church will prevail. There's 12 of us here. There's, and we're here with my guys, but even though it's just us and they're these impressive buildings, nothing will stand against our movement. Nothing will stand against the work of God and his people. That's exciting. That is powerful that Jesus is, is laying this vision to say this movement will not be stopped. Will not be stopped. If he's the Messiah, if he's the son of the living God, then we cannot ignore that because who Jesus is changes who we are. Who Jesus is changes who we are. We need that to be true. I do not enjoy water. I do not. I Drinking water, I should say. I'm a big fan of showering in water and swimming in water, but otherwise, I just don't like water. I've never thought to myself, I'd like a really big glass of nothing. Like, never. No, they're like, isn't it refreshing? No, because, I mean, it's just, it's like, it's like boring in a bottle. I just don't enjoy it. I mean, look at that. It's like, there's, there's not even color. It's like the absence of everything. Taste, there's just nothing to it. I will put anything into water. Like I like lemonade or iced tea or, or Gatorade or, or a lime or like the straight Oreo that I grind up, like anything, <laughs> anything to make water different, right? Because it's just better. Yeah, I take a little lemon. I love lemonade. You just put a little lemonade mix in there, right? Stir that up like already. Doesn't that look better already? Right, it does, right? It looks like it looks a little better. I would drink that. It's just not, my goal is like, it's not water. That's basically my goal. It's not water. But I'm also of the school that if a little bit is good, a lot is probably awesome. Because that's really weak lemonade. And so I would put more in. I mean, I would say, let's just, let's just keep going. If I don't have the shakes after drinking this, I've done something wrong. <laughs> like now we're talking. It just looks good. I mean, marketing people know what they're doing. I, I want to dive into that if it wouldn't be so sticky and obviously far too small for me to get into. That looks so good to me. That looks so good to me. And you know what's great is it's, it's pink lemonade now. It's not water. It's been changed. It's not going to go back. If you let it sit there, it might separate a little bit, but it's not going to go back to being fully, fully, completely water again. And if you're a scientist and that's not totally true, just don't tell me because I want to keep with this. It's changed. It's permanently changed. And the more we put in, the more it was changed. That's what it means to know Jesus as Messiah. We are changed, forever changed. Not changed for a time, not changed for a season. We are changed forever. We're permanently changed. And the more we allow Jesus in, the more he changes us. The more we allow Jesus in, the better the result is. That's what it means to know Jesus as Messiah. Our prayer should be, God, make me like lemonade. Let me let you in to change me. Let me know you for who you are because we can't help but be the same when we do. Jesus is the thing that changes us forever. That truth demands a response from us. It informs who we are. That truth enables and empowers us to live differently. That truth secures our future and connects us deeply and intimately with the God of the universe. 
because we all have a need for a Messiah. We all have a need for a Savior. We all do. And we understand that in varying ways to varying degrees, but we all have a need for a Savior. And we look to fill that. Who's filling that role for you? Who do you look to as your Savior? Is it your spouse? Is it a boyfriend? Is it your children? Is it yourself? Who do you look to to be your Savior? Who do you look to to rescue you? Who do you look to 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 fix what you've broken and to make right what you've messed up? Who do you look to? Because folks, no matter who you're looking to now, they will never be enough for you. If you're married, you'll under, you understand this, right? I have talked with, with couples and done count, premarital counseling with couples for, for a long time. And one of the things you see is they look to go, I'm going to have my needs met in the other person. And the problem with that is the other person will never, ever fully meet your needs the way you want them met. The other person will never be good enough to do that. But when we look to them to do it, we get frustrated and, and we, we get resentful because we want from them something they cannot give. Instead, what we need to do is look to Jesus to complete us. Look to Jesus to rescue us. Because when we realize we're rescued by Jesus, we can then give and receive what we need to from the other. When I look to get from my wife what I really need to get from Jesus, it will never be enough to fill that hole in my heart. It will never be enough to fill that longing. When I look to Jesus to meet those needs, that's when they're met. Who do you look to to be your savior? We have to look at ourselves in the mirror and and have a hard conversation. We need to ask ourselves, who do we understand Jesus to be? Are we living like he is the Messiah, that he's the son of the living God? Are we living that way? Are we living like he's worthy to be trusted, that he's worthy to be obeyed, that he's worthy to be listened to? Do we... we Look to him like he's the one truly in charge or do we look to him as someone we're fitting into our existence? It's like, Jesus, I got a little room over here. I got a one, uh, I, I, you know, I got like this one. It's a small, it's not really a bedroom. It's like, a, it's like a second office. It doesn't really have a closet, but like you can have that space. That's yours. Are we moving Jesus into that or are we saying, Jesus, it's yours? If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, I want to ask you, what would it look like for you to live like Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God? What would it look like for you to surrender all areas of your life to him? I mean, are there, are there areas of your life you aren't surrendering now? And here, spoiler alert, yes. Yeah, there definitely are. What are those areas? What would it look like for you this week to, to take today, to take tomorrow and ask God, God, point out those things that I'm not willing to give up to you. Point out those things that I'm not willing to hand over to you. Because if we believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the son of the living God, then what could he possibly not take care of better than we could? How does he not know better than we do? Who can you ask in your life that you trust? What what am I missing? What areas do you think I'm holding on to? How can you take a step this week 
to try and give up a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want you to hear me say, we're glad you're here because every one of us who would call Jesus our Savior has sat where you are. Every one of us has been in this position. Every one of us has been brought to a point of understanding our need, not because we're awesome and figured it out, but because God met us where we were. And we want you to know the hope that we know. That's literally it. We want you to know the hope we know. So if you're here and you don't yet know Jesus, what would it take for you to surrender to Jesus? What would it take for you to know Jesus as your Savior? What would it take for you to surrender your life to him? If you've got questions, if there's things you don't understand, if you're confused about things, that's okay. We'd love to know. Seriously, let us know. We, we want to walk alongside you. We all have those questions. We will never get to the point where we've got everything figured out and have nothing left to learn. How can we help you in your journey? Because folks, Jesus is asking you, individually, personally, Jesus is asking each of you, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Because who Jesus is changes everything. It changes who we are.